Welcome to West Virginia and Commonplace. Today I have with me Corey Lane Hilton, and he has a lot of things that he wants to take off uh, in this episode. He has a book that's coming out called Take It Off. Corey Lane Hilton, please tell us why you're here, who you are, and give us a brief but lengthy history on who you are. Oh, JR, brief but lengthy history. Isn't that sort of like, kind of? I don't know, man, that's a hard one to say. Well, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. The reason why I'm here, quite frankly, is, is I've just invested the last five years of my life really into creating this amazing project called Take It Off. And Take It Off, really, the launch pad for it is my book that I just wrote. And the book is actually about my former colorful career in an industry that's kind of unknown. It's a foregone industry, quite frankly, that everybody that I met, whether it was my fast family, or I should say my friends from my past or people that I know that just I meet like straight up always say to me, hey, I could never do what you did, but what was it like? And being a male exotic dancer is something that, yes, you can go and you can watch Magic Mike and that is a Hollywood version of whatever you want to call it. It's a nice little story to, to be entertained by, but that's not the reality. There's certain things about it that are somewhat real, but I go really deep into the actual raw stuff, the stuff where it's like, when you're talking about the addictions, when you're talking about maybe the, the drug addiction, the sex addiction, the, the, the pitfalls, the things that, that really like outside when you came off the stage, it's more like what was going on in my head afterwards. Like I lived literally through my alter ego for 25 years of my life, my friend, like, and the difference with me, that's completely different than most people that you'll ever meet going into this industry was that I started off at a really early age. And now I'm from Canada. I'm up here in Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada. But when I first started my experience in the industry, I was actually living on the coast down close to the Vancouver area. And the drinking age here in Canada, as you might know, is 19. Yes. But for me, I was actually in the bar working. I got hired at 17 years old. I'm going to high school, okay? I'm, go I'm literally like, you know, just trying to learn in school. And at the same time, I'm learning this whole other crazy lifestyle that I got, I really got brought into in a very original and unique way. And, and, and to take it back just a step, because I could go on on this subject and you said kind of brief, so I'm just going to try to keep it brief, <laughs> but how it's, it really came down to, I was very shy. I was very introverted. In fact, I had nightmares about exposing myself as a kid, literal nightmares. I'd wake up shuddering about it. But the crazy thing is, is sometimes your greatness is literally behind your biggest fears. And for me, I found out that after I, well, it was motivated really truly. It was really motivated by wanting acceptance. I really wanted to be accepted. I didn't want to be mediocre. I wanted to be accepted in a way that I could get the girl or I could, I could have these things and I could have all this attention. And so when I was at that influential age and this guy that I knew that was like, that I worked out with at the gym, he was a couple of years older and he was a bouncer at this club. He said to me, he says, Corey, put on a university shirt and just come out and, you know, hang out one night. So I did. And I showed up early and he turns around and he's like, he introduces me to the manager and the manager says, Oh, you're going to school. Are you? And I was like, yeah, you know, I wear in the university shirt, a bunch of BS. And he's like, he says, yeah, he's like, uh, you need to make some extra money. And I'm like, yeah, I do. Actually, I wouldn't mind. And he said, well, take off your shirt. And it was nobody in the club. It was seven o'clock. Right. When I was, I was there early just because I was so nervous, <laughs> wheel off my shirt. And he turns out, he's like, you're hired uh what am i hired for you, you got to be here on tuesdays and thursdays because you just basically wear on thursdays the the the, the bow tie cuffs and collars 
Tuesdays, you wear the Hawaiian lays with the shorts and you go out and you serve drinks to girls, you serve shooters to girls and get 15% of all the alcohol that you serve and you get your tips on top of that. You take it all home with you. Dude, I was walking into something that I didn't even deserve to be making the kind of money I was making at that age, especially doing what I was doing. It was crazy, right? So that's how it all kind of started. But then, and I'll just give you the brief timeline. I ended up going from that into nude dancing here in Canada. And then after a few years of nude dancing, I started doing shows or contests. And then I won Mr. Nude Western Canada. And then I went into Mr. Nude Canada because I used to actually have contests back then and got second in Mr. Nude Canada. And then through that timeline as well, I originally, back when I worked at that original club, I ran into this amazing dance review. And these guys were this burlesque, they were the number one burlesque show in all of North America at the time. They were Whoa. Out, yeah, they were out of Panama City Beach, Florida, the largest beach club in North America at the time. So they were touring up here through Canada. And the agent, I'll never forget it. He came up and he, we were talking and we got, I got to know these guys and liked them a lot. And he said, Corey, he goes, <laughs> I don't know whether I should offer you this or not, because you're way too nice of a guy to be coming down and living in Florida. He said, you're, you're a nice Canadian guy. You could get tarnished down there. But I'll tell you what, if you ever decide you want to come down and dance with my group, here's my card. And I tell you, JR, I put that card in my pocket and it stayed there for years never used it and then i won mr new canada or second mr new canada i'd pretty much hit the pinnacle of my career here and i thought you know what it's time to make a change so i called him up and all of a sudden i'm jumping leaving my family my friends everything that i knew jumped into a tour van straight across the country diagonal all the way to florida and started a crazy crazy experience in a new world that opened up a whole different door of reality and almost unreality in a lot of ways that <laughs> I can't even, I could be here for days talking about, but I'd rather you just ask me some questions and I'll pop them <laughs> out at you because to be honest with you, we could be here literally for a while talking about this. And that's why this book is a hundred thousand words. So there you go. There's words. My... <laughs> that's a brief story on who you are. Now, let me ask you this. Um, Cause I want to debunk some things before we go any further. Um, so being a exotic dancer, a male exotic dancer, it's not all chip and dells like everyone thinks. It's not all is it it's not very glamorous, is it? Um, I'll tell you this, man. There's there's a there's a big difference between Canada and the US. So when you're talking about dancing here, I was stripping completely nude. Okay. <laughs> I worked in a couple of groups that were similar to Chip and Dale's style. Um, there's a few stories to do with that in the book too. But uh when it came down to dancing by myself there's an element of it here in Canada that people don't realize. And this will most likely be the first time that you hear about it. And probably 98% of your audience is going to hear about this. Okay. So I hope that you're all sitting down and just get this in you. Cause this is kind of a freaky thing. So when we danced here in Canada, we were required to do two things that were very uncomfortable for me as a straight guy. For one thing, I'm a straight guy. I don't, I'm not homophobic in any way, but I had to work gay bars for a long time. And in that scenario, like it was something that I actually had zero homophobic tendencies because I was in that environment. I got to know a lot of those people. They were the same as me in a lot of ways. They had the same kind of, I guess you could say self-worth issues and all the rest of that stuff. I really related to them. I never had any problems in any of that scene at all, but it was very uncomfortable going in the first time because I thought, am I going to walk out of here the same way? I mean, I had all the things that any person normally would, but they'd be walking into a new environment. So, but that was a, that was one thing, but here's the kicker for any show, whether it was gig bars or straight bars, we had to do what they call a tie off here in Canada. Now, I don't know if you know what that is. I don't know what that is. Yeah, but here's the goods. Okay, so imagine 
it's already scary enough to be going out and just dancing and taking all your clothes off and showing your shit, pardon my French. But yeah, it's fine. imagine if you have to, in multiple different circumstances, whether it be a bathroom in your room, or maybe it's right behind the DJ in the club, or maybe it's right on a right on the actual stage with a curtain around you. But you had to go back there, get get erect however you got to get erect get erect wrap an elastic band right around the base of your cock and go out there and freaking oh wow show and showing the illusion of being massive right so this is something that we had to do every single show so you could imagine like i did this for almost a decade here in canada and i had a couple of bad experiences the first one was when i first did my very first show i wrapped that elastic one too many loops too tight and i couldn't even feel my shit for two days that's one thing. Uh, I did Mr. Nude Western, I did Mr. Nude Western Canada. A guy jumped on before me. I won the show. I, it was like I had girls screaming their lungs out. I'm out there for almost an hour doing my own show, and then all then on top of that, there was a guy that showed up ahead of me, and he, I was already ready to go, and he jumped in ahead of me. So I had to wait for him to do his entire show, tied off already, and then go out to do it. And by the time I was finished. I was tied off for over uh, about an hour and 15 minutes total. And the crazy thing was, is I was signing autographs for women, like a long lineup and there's girls sitting there saying they wanted to take me home and everything else. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, right. Take me home and do what? Cause I can't feel anything down there right now. Like nothing. Oh my Lord. So yeah, that's yeah, a tie yeah. off. A tie off is putting an elastic band around your dick. Yeah. Right on the base. To <laughs> Right on the base of it. Yeah. Right around the base, right down there at the bottom. Right. So it's like one of those things that you don't know that right ladies come to ladies yeah. night they're like oh yeah look at the size of this guy you're like you know yeah a lot of guys in the dance industry have you know a lot there but when it's tied off it's a lot more so you know i mean but i got i i got brought into the industry by the the number one dancer in canada so he really brought me in as a in in a really comfortable way like i never dreamed that i would ever do this in fact i always looked at it like there's no way i could do something like that but then i did and I was good at it. And not only was I good at it, I was very creative and made some amazing shows. And as awkward as those, some of those shows were to do and everything else, I could make people laugh, cry, whatever. It was, I always tried to get emotion out of people because I was emotionally starved myself to a certain degree when I was a kid. I didn't have a lot of emotion in my life. So as far as my family background, they were very like, my family's amazing. Like, don't get me wrong when I say this. I'm, I'm grateful. I would never change a thing. But what I'm saying is, is that my family background was very like cut and dry. There was not a lot of loves you love yous in my house. There was not no honeys and sweeties or any of that stuff. Like it was just, they showed their love in a different way. So I was so emotionally disconnected as a kid that I struggled with that a lot. Like even through my teenage years. And then when I got to go on stage and present through my alter ego, well, guess what happened? All that, that drive that I had to, to entertain wasn't necessarily all drive by getting the women or the money. It was actually about getting the, the audience reaction out of what I was doing. I literally, that was the addiction. I love that, 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 that excitement from that and how I could actually entertain somebody and make, it, make an impact on someone. So that's kind of the way it, it all started off, my friend. And, and, you know, it just kind of went from there. So, yeah. All right, so you're touring and you're doing all this stuff. You go all across the United States. Yeah. And then you come to a point in life where you stop, correct? There's a Yeah, yeah, well, sort of. Um, I, I went till 43. So I started off at 17 and I retired at 43. My um, Lord, hold on, yeah. hold on one minute. You started being an exotic dancer from 
17 to 43, that's yeah. a whole career. That's like being in the military and just sticking yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah. You, you've seen the highs and lows and ups and downs. So yeah. at 43, you stopped. Yeah. And that was after going to Florida two times. Um, I actually went to Florida once in 1996, uh, spent a year there, came back to Canada, spent about a year in Canada again, then went back to Florida in 1998. And that was at the heyday of the electronica movement. Like there was a lot of really crazy ecstasy going on in the clubs down there. And that opened up a whole new door for me. Like that whole world changed everything for me as somebody that was kind of sheltered that didn't do any drugs i was really kind of like very conscious about my body i was a former bodybuilder i didn't do anything the only thing i did was drink i think and then at 26 years old i dropped into this whole other world down there and it, that that was a whole different change when i took that little ecstasy pill that first time it opened up an emotional door that i never opened up before and i know that's a chemical door opening it up but at the same time it is unrestricted emotion and when you have somebody that actually has held back that type of emotion all their life and bottled it all up it's like tasting food for the first time you've you've ate it before but you just never really tasted it and all of a sudden you taste it you're like holy shit this is amazing right so that's what kind of happened and i went on this massive jump up where i was the life of the party and everybody everybody wanted a piece of me and i went on a massive downward spiral at one point too so yeah it's just the way it is right like it's it's a long story my friend that's what i'm saying there's a lot <laughs> to this one right but 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 the reality is is that i did ended up I end up back here in canada at 43 years old and my story in the end actually takes a full circle from where I was right at the beginning of the story to the end of the story. And I always refer to it like this, JR. I, when I first started dancing, I saw a guy that was in his mid forties and he, he wasn't really, he really shouldn't have been out on stage anymore to be straightforward. Like he was kind of just, <laughs> the candle had burned right down and he was still working on it, you know? And it was kind of like, oh, I just looked at him. I thought, no, please, Corey, don't ever let yourself be that person. Don't ever be that guy. So I, I really tried my best never to be that guy. But ironically, when I was 43 and I did my last show, I was kind of just convinced to go back out and do a show by some friends from high school. And they, I gave them like an overinflated price and they snapped it up. And I was like, no, God, they took, they actually snapped up the price. Now I have to go <laughs> do it. So, and then when I did it, I was kind of that guy and I was like, oh God, I'm hanging this G string up forever. I'm done. And I just <laughs> ended it. And, but it still took me another decade, almost, well, almost eight years after that to write my book. And, and that was something that so many people said to me, like, you have to write a book. Like the stories that you have, like, are just ridiculous. Like you have to write a book. And I should it on myself on that one for a long time, but I just quite frankly, wasn't ready. I still had a lot of learning to do. I still had a lot of things that I had to really figure out internally to be able to write something that had some power that had some impact more so than just stripper stories. Right. So I wanted it to be something way more than that. And that was through the genius of my publisher. I worked with her really hard in this last couple of years. And what was really original about my book over and above just being a biography about a crazy industry. But what I did was, is I added in these pillars to each chapter and the pillars represent my value like each chapter has a value associated with it. And then the struggle with that value that's associated with it. And it's reminded in, in, on each page. And at the end of each chapter, there's a naked truth there. And what that naked truth represents is 
the story that was written five years ago in my dark place. Now this is the naked truth that I injected into it. That's from an unhazed, accountable, drug-free reality. That's like, okay, you fucked up here, or you just, you you push blame off on this person. You pointed the finger at them. Hey, man, you might want to use your thumb every once in a while because it wasn't all their fault, and you were at least fifty percent accountable for that. You really were. So let's face it: the naked truth is what it is. And the last chapter is the final revelation, which is just like I reveal that to my person that I'm trying to really help out there that deals with self-doubt, the, the type of person that deals with the same things that I did, lack, yeah, just the, 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 the stuff that you, you think about when nobody else is around is what I'm trying to say. And, and I'm speaking to that person, right? Like, I don't want that person to go through the same hell that I went through is what it breaks down to. So. Okay. Now, let me ask you this. Um, you told us that, you know, you, there was a period that you were thinking about writing a book and then you... What happened in your life that uh, a lot of people use the word pivot? What pivot mm. happened to start yeah. you off uh, to write your book? Great question. I love when people ask me that. I call it the needle moving moment because it was kind of like, I, okay, I'll just tell you straight. My, my grandfather was the person who raised me. I was raised by my grandparents, another uniqueness about my situation. But my grandfather who raised me, I really idolized. I looked up to him as a Superman to me. He was somebody that he, he could do no wrong. I didn't realize that he had a lot of faults, but I never, I looked at him as he had no faults, right? So basically I didn't want my grandmother or my grandfather to hear some of the things in my story. I did. I wanted them to still be able to have that perspective of that kid that they raised to be proud of that kid that they raised. And although they probably would, even if they read this right now, they probably would still be proud of me and they probably wouldn't look at me in a different way, but I just didn't want to tarnish that image. So it was, it was a few, it was a few years ago when I started writing it, but I wasn't going to release it. I was going to wait until, cause my, my, my father died at 97 years old when he passed away. So he was the last one. And so when he passed away, I was actually in Indonesia when he passed away just before COVID. And when he passed away, that was the trigger. That was the needle mover. When that happened, I went, okay, I'm grieving. <laughs> this really sucks. But at the same time, I can really reveal my truth. I can edit what I have now. I can put it out there. And if they pick it up, they pick it up and they did. And all of a sudden, boom, I'm like, now I'm writing something that was good and, and I'm making it something that was gold. And that's why, like, I, I, I know that a lot of people say they, they, you know, they put their heart and soul into their book, but, and I respect that. I really, truly did. But the hardest part of it wasn't necessarily writing the book or even the hardest part of it for my career wasn't necessarily exposing myself. The hardest part of all of it was exposing my real truth, my authentic truth, and actually being vulnerable enough to admit to some of the crazy shit that I did and, being fully accountable for it because I went through drug addiction. I went through the divorce, you know, all the things that a lot of people relate to. It was just in a different lens. It was just in a weird, crazy lens that everybody wants to kind of know about. So I was like, okay, I'm going to show you, but this is not some magic mic show. You know, this is something that's a whole different ball of wax. This is the reality. And when I'm, and I'm nothing to dog on magic mic. I like this magic mic, but I'm just saying, like, I saw things that would blow your mind. Like, GHB, for example, is a very massive problem down, in, especially where I was at the time in Florida. I saw people flatline on GHB, people that I knew that I respected, and even in my dance review that were very addicted to GHB. I saw a girl flatline in a bathtub one time and turn purple. And within six hours after that, I saw her doing more GHB, doing the exact same thing and almost killed Whoa. her. Okay. 
Like, I'm just saying, I saw my ex-wife get dosed with GHB unintentionally on my birthday and almost die in a bathtub hyperventilating in front of me when I should have been far more responsible and had an ambulance called hours before. But I was too messed up in the head. So I'm just saying, like, all these stories, like, I'm giving you brief point forms here right now, JR. I'm just, like, going through it, right? But I'm just saying, like, these are the pivotal moments. So that needle mover like really was when, when I could be free enough in my own mind to say, yes, I can go ahead and put this out guilt-free and be truly authentic and not necessarily call people that, that affected my life. And there was things that happened in my life that went in a negative turn and I'm not going to call them bad apples. I don't call them bad apples because I brought them into my world. I didn't protect my house. I brought them into my world. I didn't necessarily even protect my house in between my ears, brought them into my world they were bad apples, but they were actually bad apples of good intent. They didn't never intended to hurt anybody. It just was the way that it happened. Right. So, so to help you with that one, you mean they were lessons? Definitely. Definitely lessons. lessons. Yeah. And I can see that. Now, let me ask you this, uh, inside your, your life and everything you talked, we talked about the exotic dancing portion, but, um, let's briefly go back in time a little bit. Um, we all have inhibitions and we have things that, you know, move us a certain way we have certain fears we have uh Mm. periods in life that kind of mess us up so like i'll give you an example from my childhood um my father died in 1994 i was eight or nine years old he was the was my world i learned everything from him in those nine years and and that's all i had was those nine years so Mm. from that point into adulthood everything i learned from him from how to manage a checkbook to how you treat a lady how you present yourself in front of people Mm -hmm. i had to keep all that and yeah. it's th- I'm 36 now, so to keep all that in, I had to keep that. But the one biggest fear I had, I had was the impending death. My father died in his 30s. Yeah. I'm only a year or two away from that. So that's a fear that I carry with me every day that, hey, if I don't make it past the 38 threshold, it's all right. But it's kind of like, am I going to make it past that? Because it's only two years away and I'm kind of scared. That's a fear that I've carried from my childhood till now. So do you have anything like that that's happened to you to (laughs) kind of? Do I ever? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that. As she asked me that, um, because I actually had a podcast host actually just recently asked me, um, do you have anything to ask to ask me and I said exactly that I said is there a childhood fear that you had that you carried into your adulthood in any way and he said I've never even been asked that before and he you know was vulnerable enough to actually expose that on his own podcast which I thought was really cool Um, but for me um, it's a couple things actually like one I just mentioned is a fear of exposure that was kind of more nightmare stuff like you know you you wake up and you're like oh my god I'm just been walking down the street with my zipper open and my shit's hanging out of my pants like oh but it's not real that was different but I did have a real fear that actually happened to me when I was really young. And it was something that I could not understand JR for the life of me. I could not understand why my aunt and uncle would ever have done this to me at such a young age. So I was like five, six years old and they took me to the fair, right? And they put me on this Ferris wheel. And I mean, I, I, and so I go on this Ferris wheel and I'm stuck at the top and the seats creaking and I'm crying. I'm losing my freaking mind. I'm like on there by myself. And, you know, just totally traumatized, right? Because I'm freaked out of the heights and everything and never had a fear of that. But of course, I got on the Ferris wheel and now I have this horrible fear of heights. And I remember I said to my aunt years and years and years later, right? I said, Aunt Carol, like, why would you and my uncle ever have done that to me at such an early age? Like, that's just so traumatic. Like, it, it really damaged me in a way. And I just want to know, like, why would you guys have ever done that to me? I mean, 
and I, didn't, I just don't understand and she said she started laughing at me and I, I was like what you know I just didn't get it and she said Corey <laughs> we were at the mall okay like we put the quarter in the thing and you were only like seven feet high you were just above our heads you thought you were on some Ferris wheel but you were crying your eyes out like a little puss up there and you were freaked out but you were not on a, you were you weren't at the fair you were at the mall man and I thought what so it made me realize, and that's something that I wrote about actually in my first chapter of my book was here again, we come back to value and the struggle with value. Well, my value in that chapter was truth. My struggle was perspective. And it had a lot <laughs> to do with that. It was the perspective of the truth was skewed, right? Or even the fear of abandonment. Like, and these are just little T traumas, right? Like these are not things that even a therapist would even probably consider as a big deal, but they do stick. They really do, depending on who you are. And so I had even another moment where I was with my grandmother and we were at the mall, we were at a, a store and I was running around as a kid and I'm running through the coat racks and being stupid with coat racks where the coat's brushing off my face. And I'm just being stupid running around as a kid. And all of a sudden I get lost. She can't find me. And I'm in this department store and I'm freaking out. And I finally find this lady at the, you know, the checkout or the coat check area or whatever you want to call it there, the, the dressing room area. Yeah. And she's like, she calls my mom over the loudspeaker and, I'm fine. But that moment, that couple of minutes, trauma freaked me out. And I still can feel that. Like I literally, when I talk about that story and it's been 45 years, I still feel that little twinge in my stomach when I think about that story. And so it, it's sometimes those big T's, like those big traumas that we all hear about that are horrible incidents. Yes, they are horrible incidents and they can be pivotal and game changers that will affect the rest of your life. But even sometimes those little ones that happen to you when you're really young, they carry along. And that's therapy 101, really. I mean, yes. it's just, you know, that's typical, right? So when you're asking me that, yeah, that's, that's, and so that fear, I broke that fear and went to the Philippines a couple of years ago. And I was standing at the top of this massive waterfall called Kawasan Falls in Cebu. And I'm up there 15 meters and I'm standing on these these roots of this tree and i'm like looking down 15 meters at this waterfall and it's like and it's intimidating and i'm sitting there and the guy that's guiding me is saying okay three two one and it's all just like every fear it's all the anticipation it's all the freak out before you're doing it the actual event isn't that bad but it's just the freak out so i'm standing there at 50 years old going if i don't do this shit right now i'm never going to be back here in this moment right ever probably again in my life do it don't even hold back just jump Right. So I did. And it was one of the most exhilarating experiences I've ever had. But <laughs> that fear could have held me back from that moment. Right. So I'm just saying, yeah, no you, know, you got to look, you got to do the inner work. You got to do the inner work. It is as crazy as that sounds. Um, now, one thing that on this show that we talk about, and it's a, a carry theme, is uh, mental health. Yeah. Um, mental health checkups, that's what people like to say. I like to say mental health maintenance, because if you're doing yeah. maintenance, it's something that's continued. So yes. when you're doing mental health ma maintenance, you have to be retrospective, uh, introspective. You mm -hmm. have to have a, a perspective on all facets, uh, the front of you, the left and right sides of you, and the back of you. Mm -hmm. How have you become focused inside of your mental health? Because that's something I'll, I'll say this real fast that uh, hurts our society. And, and I even know it like with uh, my job where I traveled a lot. I travel all over the United States for my job. Cool. And sometimes I just forget the little things about me. And I'm just worried about the people around me that are with me at that moment. Then the people that are far away, I got to worry about them. So mm -hmm. I always make sure everybody else had their check up their, their maintenance, but I didn't worry about myself. So 
how is your focus uh, into the perspectives of yourself uh, now compared to when you were in your 20s and your teens? Yeah, yeah, that's a wow question right there. Because like, when you're somebody like me, I, I focused all of my exterior and I got away with it most of my adult life. Like I was a bodybuilder. What was that? It was a comparison game, right? But I got away with, you know, built my body. It was a perfect art form. I did something that most people don't do in this world, right? So I went up there and got on stage and actually did that. When I was, when I was a dancer, it was all exterior. I didn't have to work on my interior. I didn't have to face anything. I could hide behind my alter ego. I could do the YMCA or I could do friggin' whatever show I wanted to do. And it's all, it's all just a show. But when the lights went down, there was nights where facing my inner stuff was a hard thing to do. When I was sitting there maybe alone at, at a hotel somewhere in the middle of nowhere, or if it was like even sometimes that, that stuff still sticks with me sometimes, self-worth a little bit. Not everybody's going to wake up feeling like they're going to go conquer the world every day. So I've, the difference now is, is through this last two years of doing a lot of really deep introspection, and that really came from really my own efforts. It wasn't derived from necessarily going to a therapist. It was more so just kind of going, okay, like these crazy things happened to me. Now, why did they happen to me? And then I can, when I see clearly that I was stripping away from my authenticity at times, especially, and, and what, the way I was able to deal with it was I, I was able to label the authenticity. So here's a great example. When I look back at my divorce as an example, um, I was in a great situation with my ex-wife when I was an entertainer because I was creative and I had a feeling of excitement. So the person that she married was a person that was creative and had a feeling of excitement. But it diminished when I got out of the industry for a short time. And I ended up actually going in the construction industry because I had no other choice at the time. And the crazy thing was, is I'd lost that feeling of excitement because I didn't have the creativity in my life anymore. So when I looked back through introspection, I was able to go, okay, it wasn't necessarily all her. Yes, she cheated. I wasn't the one that cheated, believe it or not, but it really came down to that. And, and, and by pointing the finger at her all the time, I could say, yes, all your fault, all your fault. But then when I actually looked deeply into myself and realized that, yes, it was that element of creativity that was gone. And I started to get very boring and not necessarily the guy that she married, no bloody wonder things happened the way that they did. So again, I come back to that 50% accountability for that, right? That is one thing. Now, again, though, through my inner work as well in this last couple of years, I believe firmly in introspection because I had to go further back and, and really go back into my family and figure out why I had maybe certain issues that were subconscious blocks. So I, you, this is things that a lot of people don't want to face. But like, again, this is coming right from the horse's mouth when it came to the people that raised me, my grandmother, who I loved with all my heart, and I'm never taking away anything from her as a human being. She was amazing. I'd never change anything. But there was a moment when I was young that I literally remember where she was standing and the look on her face when she turned around and said to me, Corey, you are a follower, you are not a leader. And I was just like, Ugh. and it just like, just paralyzed me. And I hit right in the heart. And I just didn't, I was, and what happened? I was a follower. I was a follower. I was a follower. And the only time that I ever led was when I was leading my own thing. When I was in complete control, I, when I was a dancer, I could, I was on doing my own stuff. I didn't, I could lead my own life. Right. But leading somebody else and being inspirational or being, making an impact in other people's lives. I couldn't do it because I didn't feel that I really could. As much as that sounds crazy, those words embedded like that and made me really believe that I was a follower, not a leader. And so when I broke that subconscious block in this last couple of years, then I was like, okay, door open, 
I can do this. Like, and I, and I have done that and I have impacted other people's lives and really led them in a positive direction, leading by example and not necessarily saying this is what you have to do, but just gently guiding somebody in the right direction that they want to go in, but they have to want to go in it. Right. So I, I guess like, like that's kind of answering your question to a certain degree is, is in this last couple of years, like I had to really look at myself and really deeply look at myself. If I wanted to have love in my life or have attract people that were going to be in my life that were going to, I could learn from that were inspiring to me that, I, that left clues. I had to surround myself with people in that environment with my authentic, uh, being my authentic self. And if people dropped out of my environment because I was being my authentic self, that's okay too. Okay. <laughs> that's okay too. It really is, you know, because you got to grow sometime. And I say this without any cockiness or any ego, but when you're the smartest person in the room all the time, you might be in the wrong room. Sometimes it's so a good true. idea to move your environment, you know? Yeah, I do. And I, and I can say this too, like, and I learned this along my journey in life. Um, people are, are built for these things. There's people that are built for moments. There's people that are built uh, for your society. And that's like you continuously going through life. And then there's people that are just built for time and space. People that are built for time and space are the ones that will get left behind because time and space uh, have a very different value at different times in your life. And you can't always get that time and space and get that continuum between them. Now, um, on this show, we pay homage to 2020. It's a news magazine that uh, John Stossel, mm-hmm. uh, Diane Sawyer, and the greatest interviewer on earth, um, Barbara Walters. Mm-hmm. She was on there. So now, uh, Corey, it's time for you to be on the hot seat. Oh, Lord. Okay. All right. So look, you have a book called Take It Off. Yep. Take It Off is, is a book. The title sounds provocative, but it's got things in there that are going to help people. And that's why you're here talking to us today. So if there was a billboard that said Corey Lane Hilton on there, and we're not saying of the Hilton Hotel thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a little funny. Um, but if, the, if you had a billboard and that billboard was in uh, Seattle, we're going to do different places So because you've been around the United States. So we'll yeah. tackle along the United States. Hey, I'm a in Seahawks Seattle, fan too. So let's go with that. I'm a Seahawks fan. All right, so, so Seattle cool. first. What does that billboard say in Seattle? Oh, man. You know, I mean, that's a good question, actually, to put it in a billboard format. I haven't really been asked that one before. So that one I got to think about for a couple seconds. But I would say something like this, and this is kind of a tagline for me, because I believe like we were just talking about mental health. And I believe that when you bottle up your mental health and you or I should say when you bottle up your emotions a lot and you try to be man enough in the wrong ways a lot of the time, I really feel that you're going to explode at one point. And it's going to come out all the wrong way. So I actually literally wrote this in my book and this is my tagline is, is let, let, let the damn break before you damn break. Like that okay. really is it. Let the damn break before you damn break. Because if you don't let it out, it's just going to all come out in a different way. And usually your partner is going to end up getting the short end of the stick with it. So okay. that's, my, that's my big tagline. All right. So that's in Seattle. And you know, being across the United States and being in Canada, because where you are to the other side of Nova Scotia, it's cultural differences. It's yeah, a difference yeah. between how they cook pizza, how they make pizza, or <laughs> either one of the terminologies. So yeah. you're in the Midwest, the middle of the United States, and you have a billboard. And mind you, just to give you a little scenery and some imagery, 
St. Louis, Missouri will be the, the, the stopping point for this billboard. So this is an area that everyone cross north, south, east, west. You're going to go through St. Louis. Mm-hmm. The message you have in the West Coast is fine. But what would your message be in the middle of the United States? Oh, man. Because think yeah, about it. It's a place think, where everyone meets yeah, up. Yeah, I've been in St. Louis, actually. So I kind of get what you're throwing down. But I think it's just... I think this is relative to not necessarily just somewhere like that, but I think it's just relative to really my attitude about almost anywhere is, is like, and it's not necessarily a tagline. It's just more so like, I, I could, I, I, I never wanted to be the same guy that drinks the same bar and the same drink with the same people and, and kind of like stays in the same County. And I've known a lot of people when I lived in the States that were that person. So it's like, get out of your comfort zone and get out of your zone altogether. Like get out there, like really like get out there and experience other people, like experience other, uh, other cultures, experience other races, experience, like get out there and do not just settle for where you're currently at. Like, like jump, get out there and experience more of the world than just where you're at. And so that's why I'm saying, although that is kind of a mid center area, to me, it's like you could consume your life staying right there, but but expand your horizons, get out to different areas of the U.S., you know, because I did and I saw a lot of interesting, cool things, but also a lot of very shocking things that showed me another, a very dark side of even racism at times of things that as a white man sitting here going, oh, you know, I didn't realize that other people went through that and oh yeah, maybe I was a little bit privileged in that situation. And maybe I don't, you know, necessarily have to deal with people saying that type of thing to me or the way they say that. Right. So get out there and experience so you can see things from other, out of of another person's lens, look at the, so I guess like one thing that Trent Shelton always says, I really, really respect Trent Shelton actually as a, as a influencer is, is that he always says, learn to respect other people's perspectives, even if you disagree with them, like you, your life isn't necessarily what they see through their lens. You, you've only seen it through yours. So respect other people's perspectives. So I don't really have a tagline for that. But like I said, get out of that zone that you're currently in. Like don't necessarily just settle for being there in, the, in St. Louis. Like maybe go to Panama City Beach. Maybe you know, <laughs> go to Seattle. Like get out of that, that same rut. Don't ever stay in the rut because the rut, it's sometimes uncomfortable to get out of the rut but it's like the tractor analogy, like the tractor, the, the guy that's mowing, plowing his field, he can go down that same friggin' path day after day after day and stay in the rut and he'll go on autopilot. He can take his hands off the wheel, but it takes that one degree turn to get out of your comfort zone and maybe go to somewhere new and interesting, plow a different field, but it takes the bump to get out of the rut. You got to go over the bump, right? If you've been in the rut too long, you're staying in the rut. It's really hard. It's a bigger bump to get over it, right? So that's, that would be my thing is, is go over that bump you know, don't okay. stay in the rut. Okay. Now, between what happened in Seattle and we're going proverbial with this a little bit um, <laughs> and the Midwest, um, something happens, you know, you gain some notoriety, you get to New York city. It's not a billboard. Now it's Madison square garden for a Ted talk. Mm. All right. So a Ted talk, cause that's what we all strive for. No matter what we're doing, I want to do a Ted talk one day just to talk about my experience in podcasting and dealing yeah. with the politics and the people. So I definitely would love to do that. I know you want to do a Ted talk too. Yeah. So you're Madison square garden before that Times square, you got your billboard up. We won't worry about that part, but your Ted talk, what is the initial mission statement that you're going to come with at the Ted talk? And I'm going to give you a second. I'm, I'm going to put a little filler in here so you can think about it real quick. The reason I ask you this is because 
um, at some point you will do a TED talk. You know that, and I know yeah. that. And this is the, the the preview of that. This yeah, is yeah. the the pre write. So definitely let it. us know what you would say. I love it. Well, I hate to say this, but I'm gonna stick to my branding because my branding is so good. I'm gonna stick to it. I I worked honestly, Jr. I, I worked on that branding for ten years before I even put the book out out in the first place. Take <laughs> it off is not take it off. Take your clothes off. Take it off is take off the layers in your head. It's all those layers that life puts on you from when you're oblivious as a little kid to taking off the layers. So like that's what I, that's honestly kind of what I would blast up there is is take off the layers, reveal your naked truth. Like like and, and if I was going to be presenting, I would be revealing my naked truth by taking it off. So I even have that thought process in my head when I do public speaking or when I do a TED talk. I want that crowd, men or women, to be screaming out, take it off. Not necessarily take it off baby, but take it off. You know, like and 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 have that humorous side of it too, where it's kind of like you, you got to inject a little bit of humor in there to make it interesting. So for me, you know, I've always just kind of thought about it in a funny, comical way. It's got to be a little bit self-deprecating at times. So if I was walking out on a stage, I would explain the story really of when I was a little kid and um, I like to get an emotional rise out of my family when they'd have company over. So like when they'd be sitting in the kitchen, uh, you know, there would be my, my bedroom and the bathroom and I'd be in there in my bedroom and I'd strip down naked and I'd run back and forth between the bedroom and the bathroom just to get them naked as a jaybird, just to get them to react. Well, I, I explain that story when I'm talking a lot of the time. They're like, oh, that's a cute little story. And I'm like, yeah. And then they realized that the last, you know, after I'd done it about 10 times, that I was going to be one of two things. You know, I was either going to basically be a male exotic dancer. I was going to be a pole vaulter. And just that, just, just saying that, yes, it's self-deprecating and it's kind of funny, but at the same time, it's kind of like, you gotta, I don't know. Like I, th I find that when you can inject that little bit of humor in there, it's not always so serious because although I've written something that, is has some really funny stuff in it and there's a really good entertainment value to it where i want to make the impact is is i really want to make that impact where i can help somebody to remove those layers so it's about take it off removing the layers is what it really breaks down to so yeah okay now um we're going to get in real tight because we've done a little <laughs> diane sawyer in between there now here comes a barbara walters question and this is serious um everybody has a, a set of uh, like a code or morality um that they follow um mm -hmm. you for instance you have uh 10 core values mm -hmm. and the audience needs to know what those are and what they mean to you well 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 i can i'm only going to divulge eight <laughs> all right <laughs> but um integrity is one that's huge for me um and that really came into play because it was compromised a few times in my life where um, I really could have went the easy direction and in a way, the easy direction, I'll never know. It was a butterfly effect moment in my life, but if I didn't have integrity, I probably would have taken the easy route and done some things that would have been fun in the moment, but would have, I would have regretted later on down the road. So my, my father injected integrity into me at a young age and yes, he did have his faults, but that's one thing I'm very thankful for that I had. Um, you know, again, when it comes down to my feelings about unity is, is another value of mine. I really feel like, again, we just talked about this, but your expansion to be able to, to be able to see things through other people's perspective, to be united in this world of ours that is so bloody divided in so many ways. Um, I really feel that it's, we're in a black and white world right now in a lot of ways. And I really like to jump into the gray areas sometimes and try to figure out 
really, I may not agree with you, but I just want to know what's going on in your head. Like, how does your brain tick? I, I know I'm not going to change it, but let me know how your brain ticks so I can kind of understand. So unity is a big thing to me. Um, another value that I always look at as well as protection. Um, with, e with protection, I have a feeling of ease that's represented with protection. So um, I protect my house. So as an example, not even just like in the literal form of who you let into your house, but who I let into my house between my ears. Very, very important to me. Um, otherwise, it, that can definitely take me off track. So protection is a big one. Relationships is another big value of mine. And there's a, there's a feeling that comes with relationships that is connection for me. I really, not just communication, but connection. So when it, again, learning experiences from my past that were degraded, right? That I actually screwed up on and only communicated that I did not connect. So what I'm saying, JR, is, is that by, by having that particular value degraded, that affected my life in a lot of ways. So that's one more. Creativity is my fifth value. So creativity, again, I was saying excitement rolls with that. So if I don't have creativity, I'm dying inside. In fact, most of these values, if, I, if I'm not aligned with them, I'm kind of dying inside. Another one, wisdom. Wisdom is massive for me. I really am all about that when I'm talking to people. I've done so many podcasts that are like, oh my God, I, I didn't expect this podcast to be so mature. <laughs> I expected you to be talking about all your crazy stories and it's kind of like, yeah, I have those, but wisdom came into play with that. So with that, you know, I really feel that to be able to live a, a I guess you could say a life where I can be empathetic with other people's situations. I had to, had to, I had to learn some of those things to be able to empathize with what other people were going through. So wisdom is huge. Leadership again is another one to list off where it's like I said before, when you've always been told you're a follower and you, 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 you don't lead well for me, you know, leading by example is really important to be able to obviously make an impact in a positive way for other people. And lastly, believe it or not, one of my biggest values is detachment. And that's the crazy one. A lot of people think, oh, detachment, how negative. No, 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 no. Detachment was what changed my life. Like in this last two years, and it wasn't just driven by COVID. If COVID wasn't around, I still would have done this. But I detached from all relationships. I broke up with my girlfriend. I detached from my former career. I got rid of my job altogether. Like literally detached from life altogether to do my most important work, to do, to work on the thing that I had never really worked on before. And that has brought me to where I am now. And with all those things aligned that I just said, that gives me the ultimate value, my full inner purpose feeling that represents all those words that I just described, which is harmony. And that is when I'm all aligned with all those, I'm harmonious in my life and I'm living in the real now. And what I mean by that is I'm not living in the past, dwelling on all the shit that went on. I'm not living too far into the future, but I'm truly, truly got the goosebumps and I appreciate what I have right today. And when I step out that door, I'm still breathing. If I need to go take a break from the saboteur that gets into my head one day that's telling me that I can't or that I have self-worth issues or that I have lack in my life and I'm going to be destitute someday and all that shit that everybody has in their head comes into their mind. I get rid of that saboteur, but I get out in nature, whatever I have to do, whatever I have to do, and just take that time for me, detach, so I can come back and reset and make that impact, whether it's personally, professionally, with my girlfriend, whatever it is. And when I have all those things, that's when I started, when, I, when all those things got to the point where I was happy, like not 100%, but when all those things were aligned, that's when I started attracting other people in my life that were that were the same like-minded type of people. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, 
another part of the show that we do, we have this thing that we call the shameless plug. It is time, Corey, for you to let the audience know where they can find your book, where they can meet and greet you and how they can interact with you. Um, I don't know uh, how much of your life that, that you give uh, your audience access to, but please let them know where they can meet you and greet you. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, you know, I, I think my main my main hub for all that right at the moment is my website at takeitoff.ca. Um, yes, I am Canadian, so I have the .ca there, but it takes you to the same place. And uh, you can chat with me on there. You can actually book a time with me if it comes down to um, wanting to do podcasts, for example. Right now, I'm really only opening up a few garage doors at a time. I just finished this project, obviously, and releasing here this next week. So um, January 18th, I'll plug that is my launch day. Now, if you go to my website at takeitoff.ca, you'll have an option to enter your email in there and it added, you'll, you'll be added to my email list. And all it is, is going to give you an alert on that day for when we go live. It's a 24 hour launch window, discounted rate for the book. The really great news is that here in Kelowna, there's a great organization called Third Space Charity, and they really support men's and women's mental health. And so what they do is, is they actually help uh, train people to be counselors for men's and women's mental health from the age of 19 to 29. And by doing, by supporting a charity like that, I feel that I'm giving partial proceeds to my, from my launch day to them, which actually is a ground up approach that actually truly makes a difference from, for my, my community and really does something for people that everybody struggles with. And I truly believe that JR, that every single person that's listening to this right now in their own way, no matter how big or small, struggles with mental health in some way, shape or form. We all do. And yes, so we, do. we really do, right? So I kind of look at it like if I can do my part, I know I'm not gonna be able to solve the whole world's problems. I don't have the answer for everybody's problems out there, but I can give you my perspective and I can let you know the shit that I went through and take what you want from it and throw away the rest. That's okay. And if you're not going to take anything from it, at least be entertained by it. Cause I'm pretty damn good at doing that. Right. So <laughs> I'm just saying like that, that's something that, that then obviously you can contact me on Facebook or Instagram and all that stuff, but that's just kind of like, I haven't really, but I haven't really like expanded my market into doing the Ted talks yet. I'm going to be doing a podcast here fairly soon, but I'm only opening up one garage door at a time because I want to make sure that I do this part. Right. And then from there, you know, it's, I'm, I'm excited. I'm so excited about the future right now. I've never been so excited about the future at my age. I really am. And, and so if I could give the whole world a, a wish, if I could, you know, outside of money and whatever, I'm just saying, like, if I could give everybody on this planet something that could make their life different, I would say that by the time you're at your, if you could actually estimate your middle age, right? You could know that you were going to be 40 years old is going to be your middle age. And I wish that everybody could take a year off of life and they could just really do some mad introspection about where they're at. And it's amazing how liberating that is. It's amazing how many doors open up to your, your, to, to the possibilities of what you can do and really heal some wounds actually as well from your past that you might think that could never be healed. Believe it or not, they can be, they really can even really bad shit can be. I mean, mm -hmm. I healed wounds with my ex-wife through this process that I thought would never be healed. I only spoke to her maybe three times in 15 years. Guess what? Now she's one of my biggest fans because I was real and I was authentic. And I told her that she couldn't handle the truth in certain situations. And I was being really raw dog honest about it. And she agreed, you know, um, but going back, you know, like it's not necessarily something you should live in the past, but I think sometimes when you have those pivotal moments that are, that, 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 that hang in your brain, it's really sometimes a really good idea to kind of figure out 
how you were part of that and really kind of go back if it's important enough to you. I don't want to see, even though I'll never be with my ex-wife again, I don't want to see her living a life of trauma and heartache for the rest of her life. I want her to enjoy her life. I want her to live by her authentic self, by the way, as well. And whether that's with me or not is irrelevant. I, I want to help the, help those people that can be helped, right? You got to be in the willing. world. And the world definitely appreciates that because uh, closure and different things like that. Some people don't get those uh, at the end of the day. And that's very po powerful. Corey Lane Hilton, I want to thank you for coming on West Virginia and Commonplace. Uh, this has been an amazing experience to talk to you uh, Thanks, about man. things. And hopefully in the near future, we can have you back on because there's two yeah. things that are going to happen uh, to you. And these are amazing things. And I'll tell you. So right now, um, you know, we learned in school literary action of the rising, the climax, and then the falling action. Well, right now you're in the rising action of, of what you're doing. And the rising action is something that's so powerful that we forget about it. We live in the moment. We don't even know that it happens. That's one of the things, like you said, I say retrospect. We go back and look in retrospect mm -hmm. and we see, we see the rising action and we see where we started at and in the middle. In the middle is the greatest place to be, but you never get to experience it until it's over. You know that that was the middle. So you're in the middle right now. So this is like right. something like right now where you're real hungry and you're going to see a lot of things, positive and negative, that will... Um, shape and mold you into a different person to the person I'm speaking to today. So that's why oh, I yeah. definitely hope it give you an extension to always come back on the show. I love um, it. Yeah. So one thing uh, that we have to do real quick, everybody has uh, people behind them. I have my great co-host Stacy when she is available to do shows uh, and she's also my, my girlfriend. So she, nice. she takes care of a lot of the brunt and, uh, and I have to say, I do have one bad trait uh, mental wise. I am a little codependent on her on cer certain things, mm -hmm. which like you said, a little detachment sometimes works and, yeah. and I probably should work on that on certain things, but uh, all, all around what you have going on is amazing. So your testament is this Corey Lane Hilton is this, it takes a lot of fortitude and that's what you had to develop fortitude. You didn't have it at 17, no disrespect, No, that's cool, but, man. Yeah. but a 20 year journey, a 25 year journey, you get fortitude. Once you get fortitude, you're out here, you're developing more than just a book, you're developing a mindset. You're developing more than a mindset. You're developing a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You're developing an approach to help people. Yep. That is so hard to do because some people get misguided with this and they start doing things to help people just because it's self-healing for them. Those type of people, I think, is very selfish that do that because at the end of the day, it's borrowed time. It's that time and space I talk about. They're going to eventually leave it. But you yeah. seem like you're not going to be that type of person. Mm -hmm. Your self-healing came a long time ago. And it's a maintenance every single day, mm -hmm. but helping is not your self-healing. It's the lessons you learned. It's yeah. the experience. It's the mistakes. It's everything that made you well-rounded. So that's your testimony today that Thank you, you have come full circle at this moment in life. You know what it's like to be in the middle right now. We don't worry about the rock bottom. We don't worry about the top because when you get to the top, you got to look at the bottom. And if you're at the that's bottom, right. you got to look at the top. That's so right. when you're in the middle, you're in the best plane because you're seeing things in a perspective that you may not see if you get all the way up to the top again, you know, because you know what it's like to be at the top and being yeah, at the top. Man. It's rough because all you're going to do is hit the bottom at some point. Yeah, can, I, can, I, bottom... can I say something to that? Yes, sir. There's a big difference between status and worth. And status is all that stuff at the top. You know, I was at the top. It was great. Everybody wanted a piece of me. It was really cool, man. It was fun. It was really awesome. But were they real? Were they my real friends? You no, know, not really. You know, my worth, that actually was derived from a lot of the things that I went through. And I never even realized that I even had that kind of worth, right? 
So I needed to do that and be real about that. And that's, I may not be an expert. Okay. Like I don't call myself an expert, but there are like, you know, really when it comes down to it, there's five of those words, those letters in expert or inexperience. And I know <laughs> a lot of that, like a lot of that. So it's not here to solve the whole world. It's only to really help out a certain demographic, but man, for that demographic, yeah, I can make an impact. I already know I can. And that's not derived from status in any way. I've already been at the status point. That's cool. Right at, right on. That's awesome. But I don't want that guy to be doing what I was doing 15 years ago, sitting there when I lost everything, thinking about ending it all. And I really, I did a video today, literally on the mountain where I actually 15 years ago, almost ended it all when my life turned over. And I did. And that way, and I, I almost cried doing that video today, believe it or not, because I realized truly how much growth I've had in my life since then. And it would have all been for naught. It would never have happened if I had done that that day. And I don't want that other guy to do that out there. Three out of four suicides in Canada right now. Three out of four are men. Why? That's crazy. Why is that? Right? You got to ask. Because the, tab the taboos and the things. And that's what I was going to go into. With your, with your book and stuff like that, you're breaking the stigmas and taboos. That's what I want to commend you on. And that's what Thank I you. want to leave it on your testimony yeah. uh, on this podcast that yeah. um, what you're doing is amazing. So Thanks, real man. quick, audience, um, I do want to say this. Um, definitely, I'll let Corey come back real quick and uh, he will give us a, another shameless plug about where you can reach him at. And in my show notes, um, and the, the guest always provides me with this stuff, it will have all the links and all the interesting facts that he wants you to find out before um, his book launches. This podcast will be out very soon. It'll be on all 13 streaming platform services. And um, once again, if you head over to his website, which he'll plug in just a moment, um, he will let you know how to reach him. And also through our chat support um, at West Virginia or WV Uncommonplace at gmail.com. You can leave messages uh, just in case you get lost in the, the hustle of all these other episodes and you find something that you like here and you want me to get in touch with Corey, I will patch you guys together and you all can have a conversation and get things jumping and going there. So once again, this is JR from West Virginia and Commonplace and Corey's going to finish us out with a good shameless plug. <laughs> well, first off, all kidding aside, I should say, pardon the pun, but thank you for the exposure, JR. I appreciate the exposure. It was an explosive episode, but no, um, no, I mean, it, obviously, as I said, my website's the main place to go, takeitoff.ca. You have a great gallery to be able to look at some of my old school pictures if you want to see a little bit of skin. There's, there is that in there. But realistically, the big thing behind my website really is, is you, you can check out my blog. I'm always doing blog posts on there. I really do enjoy doing blog posts on different subjects. And, and just kind of, like I say, I, I really think that that site's going to be expanding in the next little while quite a bit. And I'm going to be looking at doing some other packages and some other things just to add value. Cause to me, it's all about adding value. And I'll leave you with this. I think there's some, for someone that, that, that has struggled with lack and self-worth issues and all the rest of that, my mission in my life on a personal level is, is to get to the point that I have so much value created in my own life that they can take everything away from me tomorrow. And it won't really matter because next week I'll be able to make it all back again because my value is just that high. And anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. It just really takes getting out there, taking the step and bloody well doing it. You know, actions speak louder than words. Everybody likes to talk, but I talked for a long time but nothing changed in my life until I started taking uncomfortable action and get out of your comfort zone. So all those people in St. Louis, get out of your comfort zone, get out of that rut, go see other things, experience <laughs> other things, right? That's what I'm saying. Experience okay. And once again, this is JR from West Virginia Commonplace. And um, 
this has been a very delightful conversation. Um, and I hope that you check out other podcasts that uh, Corey Lane Hilton will be on and uh, keep up with this guy. So once again, I'm signing off. And any last thing you want to say, Corey, before we end this? Uh, the only thing that really I should be saying for everybody is thank you. Thank you. I really thank you so much. And I, I don't take anything that I have for granted. And every time that I have an opportunity to be able to tell my story, it means a lot because my story is my value in a lot of ways. So thank you. That's all I can say. All right. This is JR signing off. <laughs>